The following program is presented by the HTM Podcast Network. This is your United States of America. It is Friday, May 24th, 2019, and you are tuned in to the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast, powered by the Roar Network at thegorillaposition.com. Presented by Hamian Media. And in association with Last Word on ProWrestling.com. On this week's show, we're talking some ROH, best of the Super Juniors, double or nothing, and a whole lot more. But before we dive in, it's my obligation to remind you this is a podcast by the fans for the fans, bringing you all the news that is news from across the professional wrestling world. You can find the show on Twitter at HTMPWPod. Find the entire HTM Podcast Network online at hittingthemarks.com. My name is Jargo. I'll be your host for the day. I'm going off three hours of sleep, so if I'm a little goofy, forgive me. But here's my tag team partner. He's the man, the myth, the legend, the real RBV, Rick. Welcome back to your show. It's me, it's me. No, we're going to change it up a little bit. Who's down with the RBV? Yeah, you know me. You know me, the RBV. Who's down with the RBV? Rick Vickery back again here. The Hitting the Mark Pro Wrestling Podcast. And you know what? This has been a couple of days. This thing has been uh, kind of brewing. Waiting for that boiling point. We've got a hot one. We're going into a great weekend. And we've got some things in our rearview mirror that we want to talk about. It's finally here, Huckleberry. It is officially double or nothing weekend. I'm getting excited, man. I'm getting pretty excited for this show. I've been talking to some people inside the business today. I know there's a whole caravan of professional wrestlers that are on their way to Las Vegas, Nevada. And right before we started recording, uh, Carly showed me this picture. She showed me this picture that CM Punk had posted to his Instagram account, and it is clearly CM Punk flying over the city of Las Vegas, Nevada. Rick, is CM Punk all in, or is he just trolling the hell out of everybody? Well, I'll tell you this. you know, it, we, There's a short list of people that really know how to work an audience, and CM Punk's on it. And actually, I only probably put two others on there. Uh, one, Chris Jericho. The other, why is this escaping, is Bully Ray. Yeah, Bully's <laughs> really good at it. They, they know how to uh, just, just pull you in, get you excited. But let's talk about, you know, this is a weekend of excitement. This ain't no WWE BS. You know what? Hey, we're, we're taking the cups off. So, you know, this ain't no bullshit. These guys are going to pull out all the stops. And you're telling me right now, number 21 in the uh, Casino Battle Royale, if you drop Punk's music, everyone would absolutely lose their shit. You talk about claiming your spot, not, not even claiming your spot on the map. You define the map. That's That's a Lex Luger moment, isn't it? That's Lex Luger walking out on the first episode of Nitro. I think it. I, th- I think that it supersedes it a million times. 
Yeah, I, I think you're right. Of course, we will talk about Double or Nothing. We will talk about Best of Super Juniors, NXT 25. Uh, Rick, I want to go ahead and start things off with the Monday Night Raw review. Yep, didn't watch that shit. How about SmackDown Live? Yep, didn't watch that shit either. All right, moving on. Uh, I want to start this week with Ashley Massaro. Um, I, I know that we talked about her career and her legacy in the locker room on Monday, but over the course of this week, Rick, we are seeing uh, new reports come out regarding her rape allegations going back a few years to a trip to Kuwait. Um, and now everybody is up in arms about this thing. And somehow this is the WWE's fault. Um, I, number one, I knew about this thing at least two years ago. When did you find out about this Ashley Massaro rape allegation? Well, I don't know if it was two years ago, four years ago. I remember this thing when it broke. I mean, this was news at the time. And they actually investigated it and thought there was really no grounds to go further with it. But now everything around the death and you're talking about, you know, the concussions and obviously, I mean, this poor woman, you know, made a decision to take her life and, and how it affects other individuals. Her daughter, 19 years old, it is now going to go forward without a mother outside of that and still everyone wants to turn us and try to vilify wwe which is absolutely disgusting and that's that's what i really wanted to talk about today um it, people are using this just as a cheap avenue to take shots at wwe over a matter that has already been handled the way this thing reads to me um we have another attorney on our hands who's kind of in that michael avenatti kind of kind of role who's been after wwe for a while he's filed a ton of frivolous lawsuits against the WWE, all of which have been thrown out. And the Ashley Massaro case is absolutely one of those. But now it's like all of a sudden we're, we're while well, Vince is the devil and WWE is awful. Where were you a couple of years ago when this story broke? Why are we not talking about Ashley Massaro? We're not even talking about the, the victim here. We're not even talking about the crime here. We're just going after WWE. And what you're doing is you're trivializing everything that happened to Ashley. And that just pisses me off. Yeah, there's, I love it how you just perfectly laid out there. There's an individual who has was troubled and, and to a point where you know, the unthinkable happened. I can't even imagine what goes through someone's mind and, and not to, you know, expose so much business to pull the curtain back. We've had a conversation this afternoon where this is, this happens to individuals and to now just kind of target WWE is almost sickening. Absolutely sickening. I, I don't even really know what direction to go with this thing. Any individual that is going to use this as a platform for another attack on WWE you actually, you are lowest common denominator. Those are those are you people. Those are the reasons we can't have nice things, as we always say. Yeah, I mean, I understand. Like, there, there's plenty of things to take shots at WWE for. I mean, I, God knows, I, I'm all fully on board taking shots at them about this Saudi Arabia thing. I'm all over it. I've been all over it since the very first episode of Blood Money was announced. Now we're coming up on Blood Money 3. There's plenty of things to go at WWE for. This, 
This is not one of them. This is an absolute freaking tragedy and using it to vilify WWE just, it drives me insane. Hey, there ain't no WWE women getting raped in Saudi. Yeah, well, there is that. But hey, you know what? Real quick here, I mean, go back to a serious note. Let's really reflect on this. There is a family that lost a beautiful young woman. And, and even to reflect back on her career, all the things she's been able to accomplish. I mean, she was she was an absolute beauty. I mean, through her modeling, got the she was in Playboy multiple times. That's a great honor. Not to just objectify anybody, you know, for their image. But for them to choose you, you are top notch. And then they had the talent to go to WWE, you know, win that contract, and then go in there and hang. And she wasn't one of those just fly by. She went in there and she wrestled her ass off. And now we're talking about a young daughter, especially there, 19 years old, that has lost her mother before the age of 40. And all you Mark Tards can only focus on is this should be a reason to crucify Vince McMahon. Yeah, it's just an awful situation, and I, I think people need to have a little bit of taste and a little bit of sensitivity when it comes to these sorts of things, and and not just completely overlook the victim and overlook the allegations. Well, that it's are. It, it, it's a it, it's a perfect example of the society we're living. In. No one takes a step back. We always say this on this show, even when when we are examining wrestling, it's okay to analyze, but take a step back and then make a make a 180 walk around it and then come 360 and look at every angle. Individuals don't do that. They shoot from the freaking hip. They run their mouths without understanding what is actually on the line. It's addiction outrage. I, I really think that this is a thing. Like we have become addicted as a society to being outraged by things. And we lash out on social media. We lash out on Twitter. We lash out on Facebook and then we never give it a second thought. Like how, how many people that are out there and talking about these allegations right now and, and are having a fit and going after Vince McMahon, how many of you have read the lawsuit that her name as well as 51 others are attached to when it comes to the concussion protocol inside of the WWE? Like, don't don't fake outrage. If you're outraged by something, then do something about it. But don't just sit there behind a keyboard and run your mouth about it, especially when all you're doing is talking shit about Vince McMahon. You're not even talking about Ashley Massaro and, and what she actually went through when it comes to these allegations. It's modern day witch hunts, my friend. Yep. Drives me absolutely insane. Let's uh, let's shift to happier times here, Huckleberry, and uh, let, let's talk about a, a bit of a celebration that we have seen over the course of the last week. And of course, I'm talking about ROH 400. ROH has ran 400 episodes of their TV show, which just seems absolutely insane to me at this point. They put up a real nice piece on ROHWrestling.com looking back at the very, very first episode of ROH. That was a lot of fun. But I wanted to take a look at ROH 400 because they were billing this as a big show. We had two championships on the line, and it kind of pleads into a feature interview that we have here coming up for everybody this week. Wanted to start off with the ROH six-man tag team championships because, Rick, this is a very, very interesting team. The team of Jeff Cobb, Roosh, and Jay Lethal take on Villain Enterprises for the ROH six-man titles. And I got to say, when you see this combination of men, this combination of meat, as Dalton Castle would say, standing on the apron, this is a very impressive group of singles wrestlers. I'm not sure that they necessarily go together as well as a team. And we see Villain Enterprises pick up the big win here. But I think what we're building to at some point 
I think we're going to get Roosh versus Jay Lethal. Which absolutely is amazing, right? Yeah, please. No, I, I've told you, I've please. seen the footage. Of, I've seen the footage of this. You want to talk about goosebumps. And we're talking about going into a big weekend with AEW. ROH makes a statement right here. You know, they've got their own major players. They're still here. They're in the game. This this is phenomenal. I mean, outside of you give me Villain Enterprises versus the Bullet Club, I, this is the second match I didn't know that I wanted. But I love it. I saw some footage of this thing. They're teasing it like crazy. Absolutely amazing. And, and this is what you expect. You got three big stars on one side, people that are getting ready to go through. I mean, you got Cobb set up for Baltimore with that shot with Taven. Well, and here, this is actually one thing I wanted to hit on. The TV title is around Jeff Cobb's waist here. Like Shane Taylor won that title how long ago now? Like, this is one of those inconsistencies that we point out all the time when it comes to ROH. This is one of those things that we worry about with Impact Plus. I just think this is such a poor taste look for ROH on a show like ROH 400 that you're celebrating to be one of the biggest episodes in ROH TV history. I'll agree with you 100% there. Those are those little, those subtle things that we always talk about. And again, I don't want to expose too much because we are going to have a major announcement coming up here on the Henry March Pro Wrestling Podcast about some of the uh, the great ventures that I am partaking in. But it, it comes to putting the pieces to the puzzle where you're not so far ahead of yourself and it really writing those storyboards, which becomes quite difficult in Ring of Honor for whatever reason. I, I, it goes back, you know, we've always said for WWE, they need the, the what the fuck vice president. Ben Hamin's position where you're sitting around the room and you just ask, what the fuck? Why are we doing this? Does this make sense? They continue to skip through those things. It, it does take away from the moment. It really did. What's, what what could have been there? Because even in this match, and I'm sorry if I spoiled anything when I was even saying that, you know, because Cobb is set up here. If they can't handle their own business, I'm not worried about spoiling it. Well, no, and especially the, the information's out there. You can go to ROHwrestling.com right now, and you can see the slate for it. Right. So, I mean, but lining, lining these three up, it, this is your all-star team. And, you know, this are, these are your three, your big three right now in Ring of Honor. You're putting them together, but the right call was they went down to an actual faction, and you're building a story within it. The other thing that I really, really like in this match is PCO – Pins Jay Lethal. Like, we are really on this quest to elevate PCO into a huge main event player for the next couple of years inside of ROH. As long as he can stay healthy, of course. That's another match I want to see. I want to see PCO versus Jay Lethal. But, Rick, I can't help but wonder, where's Marty? Like, where does Marty fall in all this? Because at this point, it seems like, for everything that we have heard, Marty's contract should be expired. He's still walking around with one of the ROH six-man tag team championships. He's doing the best of Super Juniors in Japan. But yet we have his protégés like PCO pinning Jay Lethal. So it seems like we're elevating PCO while Marty's kind of on his way down. What's going on with Marty is one of the biggest questions inside the world of professional wrestling right now. Well, I, I think there's two points here. And we talked about this before. I really think they're building up to a PCO final battle. Like, where well, that's his moment. Could you imagine him or, you know, whoever the champ might be, hopefully it's Taven there and this big send off in a ladder wars where, you know, and he's, he's pinned Taven, but he's lost that match. 
Now he goes over lethal. You keep putting these people in front of him. Maybe Marty on his way out maybe gets a little jealous that PCO is getting these big pins. He's getting these, these big victories on behalf of Marty's faction. Gets a little jealous. Maybe that's how you write off Marty. And you're building towards that. Then again, you know, with Marty, we're talking about this weekend too. Yeah, like what's going on with Marty? Is Marty going to AEW? Is Marty going to NXT? Is Marty going to... Marty is super over in Japan. Boy, the Japanese missed Marty Skrull. I mean, he, he could go spend a couple years in New Japan Pro Wrestling as a featured junior heavyweight. Looking at everything right now, as we just laid out, it seems like at Ring of Honor, they're moving away from Marty, where they know this thing might be on the outs. Again, though, as you just stated, you know, he's super over in Japan. I, I could see him making a great run through the Battle of L.A. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and I know everyone would jump right to the thing. Actually, I was thinking about doing these skits, where, you know, where wrestling happens in real life. Like when you're just like dissatisfied with something, you just slam it down like you walk up to the counter at McDonald's, slam the burger down like I'm going to AEW. <laughs> Every time you're just pissed or disgruntled about something, just slam it down like I'm going to AEW. So everyone's going to be throwing that out there. But we've talked about this before. Marty needs to fly on his own. The, the villain, I mean, it represents perfectly. You know, he's got the bird. He needs to fly on his own a little bit. And his, no pun intended there, impact will be so, so much greater within a year when he shows up to challenge whoever might be that champion. I think Marty would do very well to re-sign with ROH for a year and be elevated to that perennial main event talent rather than going somewhere else and getting lost inside of the mid card. Maybe, maybe this is all about that where it seems like they're kind of, you know, overshadowing him, writing him out for only him to come back bigger and stronger and say, you know what? I'm tired with groups. I'm tired with factions. It's time for the villain to fly on his own. Get behind that. Get behind that. We'll talk about Marty a bit more when we talk about the best of Super Juniors. But first, we have to talk about the ROH World Heavyweight Championship on the line. ROH 400. Flip Gordon finally gets his title shot against Matt Taven. Rick, I, I wanted to like this match. But I really just didn't like this match. Once we got, we actually got a code of honor. We had the code of honor acknowledged by Matt Taven. He shakes hands with Flip Gordon before the match, which kind of caught me a little bit off guard. But suddenly, just by adhering to the code of honor, Matt Taven kind of felt more like the real Ring of Honor world champion. Like he understands now that as the champion, he still has to respect his opponents, which is something that I think his game was kind of missing a little bit. Well, does, does this come down to, because it was 400, it was the moment you're going to make it special. You want to go back to, you know, what Lifeblood's doing. You want to go back to that pure Ring of Honor in that moment. Or are we seeing a little bit of a transition where they're realizing he's such a hot hand. People are appreciating his work that we got to slowly turn him. God, I can't imagine Matt Taven as a baby face. I just, it, it, I, I, I know that entire group, but I mean, it's, it's the era we live in, you know, we're, we're cheering. We're, we're gravitated towards these villains. You know, these guys are like a living length suicide squad. Yeah. And it really started Madison square Taven 
You know, when we started seeing those banners in the crowd at Madison Square Garden, Madison Square Taven, it was like, uh-oh, people are starting to like Matt Taven. This is this is kind of weird for those of us that have been, you know, following the King for a while. I, I'm really with you, though. It, this whole match, and I'm not doing – I don't think there's anything that's Taven. I think he's absolutely amazing. It's on the other side, and and I'm never one. You know, we put this over all the time. We're not critical of in-ring work because he gets all the praise, but I just do not see the appeal of Flip Gordon from bell to bell. It, it's so robotic. It's a floor routine. It, I, I, you know, outside of thank you, especially on Memorial Day weekend here, you know, thank you for your service and all you've done there, but it's starting to lose its luster. I like Flip a lot. But I like Flip kind of more in that TV champion kind of role. I just, for some reason, Flip Gordon doesn't feel like world heavyweight champion to me. And especially now that the elite have gone, I feel like Flip is kind of like a puppy kind of looking for his owner. Um, My other issue with this, and and I was afraid this was going to happen, This goes for three segments, so we have to deal with the commercial breaks in between, which immediately kind of takes me out of a world championship match, but that's through no fault of their own. But now with Flip Gordon coming back from this knee injury, he's wrestling the Seth Rollins match. And what I mean is Matt Taven goes after the knee very, very early in the match, and then you have to put up with Flip Gordon poorly selling the knee for the next 25 minutes. And it it was not good. It was not good. Well, it, that's where it falls into. You know, that's not his style to be selling like that. Flip should be used. Flip should be used going back to WCW in their cruiserweight matches. You know, to get you hyped up. You know, first, second, third out on the card. Get everyone excited. Get the flip chance going on. People are still gravitated toward him. They're going to chant for him. But you said it perfectly. We elevate him to this kind of world title main event status it just falls short it's kind of like switch play jay white like i feel like we skipped a step with flip like he went from being you know cody and the bucks little buddy who was trying to get on all in to the main event and it just it just feels out of nowhere and i just don't take flip gordon seriously as a world heavyweight champion contender well, let me ask you let me ask you this let me throw this at you here charge because we heard so many people, even from Bully Ray, you know, when he's off the cuff, and, and so many greats, Booker T, and all that, they praise it. They praise Flip as one of those next great breakouts. How how do you present him? I mean, what should they do to kind of put him on that pedestal? I mean, to truly put him, as we're talking about here, on that main event pedestal. I think he needs to go through a phase where he becomes Kenny Omega. And, and I mean that in the respect of if you know, if you see Kenny Omega's career before he joined the Bullet Club, before the cleaner Kenny Omega was born, he was kind of Flip Gordon. But it took him undergoing that serious character change and that heel persona. And because in turning heel, he got to slow down kind of his offense. He still had the high impact offense, obviously, but he wasn't doing near like the Phoenix splashes. He wouldn't be doing the stupid handspring spot because he's a heel. So you're not going for that pop. I think that would do Flip Gordon good. I think it would actually help him slow his style down a little bit, go a little bit more 
character heavy and maybe elevate himself as a heel. Like Jericho has said, I don't know how many times I'm like a seven time world heavyweight champion. Never won one as a babyface. Well, and that's where they're trying to position him. And you have to look at that though. It's hard to position that little guy as, especially in that underdog role as they're coming up heel. I mean, you just gotta be, you gotta be a total bastard. He has to find that. And you're wondering now, has there been damage because he's just been the little buddy to Cody and the Bullet Club and all that? Now, will he be able to fly on his own? How much room is there to fly on your own? As we were talking about, Marty needs that spot as well. The, the difference is Marty has a character. What's Flip Gordon's character? He's Flip. His character is his first name. He does flips. And... And like I said, thank you, sir. You served our military. Outside of that, we need more substance from you. What's what's Flip Gordon's real name? Does anybody know here? Let's go to the fire breathing Twitter machine. Travis, you know, so maybe we just drop the flip like we turn heel uh, this week on, or, or two weeks ago, I guess it was on ROH TV. Flip comes out in the full like suit and tie, sunglasses gimmick. That's a good look for Flip. Maybe that becomes his regular attire. He just starts going by Travis Gordon, and we 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 lose the Flip moniker. He becomes a egocentric kind of prick, and we, we we move forward out of the era of Flip. You know what I really love to see from a heel from him. I don't want to go just to Travis because, you know, the flip does sound. It's, it, it's catchy. It's one of those buzzwords that we always talk about, especially in marketing. I'd love for him to just come out, like go old school, like Flair when he joined WWE and be like, you know what? I did fuck Brandy. <laughs> Could you imagine? I mean, I, I guess this is my I was actually, I actually was. Those guys went out and started their own promotion. The whole time Cody didn't like me, he shouldn't have liked me because I fucked his wife. <laughs> Jericho said uh, a, a variation of this on his podcast, and I've heard a couple of other professional wrestlers say it over the course of history. And he was talking about, or maybe it was on uh, Busted Open with Bully Ray. Um, the the way to determine if you're world championship material, if you can imagine Howard Finkel saying, and new world heavyweight champion, Flip Gordon? Really? Like, it's nothing about Flip. Like, you're defined by that gimmick. I feel like the name Flip is a mid-card gimmick at best. I don't think Travis does anything for it either. I mean, can we just go FTG or something? like Something along those lines. I, yeah, come up with I, something. I, I, think I think we're on agreement here. This is probably another discussion. Hell, I'd love to get a roundtable with some individuals to talk this through. But we need an evolution of Flip right now. The other thing I didn't like about this match is we got the the balloon distraction finish. We we you know it's like Flip seemingly has Matt Taven right where he wants him, and and Vinny's balloons go off, and that distracts Flip, and that allows Matt Taven to to get the advantage to get the win here. I'm I'm kind of tired of the balloon distraction finish. Like I feel like Matt Taven's better than that, especially now that he's the ROH World Heavyweight Champion. And it always seems so awkward too. Like they got to get the positioning in for it. Uh, it it's almost it, it's the balloon has almost become the case like in WWE where music hits and somehow your your limbs stop working. Yep. Yep. Vinny's where, balloons where, have the same effect. You know where it's lost its effect, and, it, and 
we're not going to talk that much of it, but you know, even like you would have had Ali sitting on, on that ladder, you know, how impactful that would have been when Brock's music hit, you should be terrified of Brock, but we see it every week. So if we, if it never happened and then it happens in that moment, then it means something. Yep. Completely agreed. So let's talk about our feature interview, our special guest, Mr. PJ Black had an opportunity to sit down with Mr. Black before we uh, started recording today. Unfortunately, you weren't able to join me for the interview. Um, I, I think this is a fantastic interview. We go through his early days in South Africa, his time with the Nexus, and if they realized that they were living one of the best gimmicks in WWE history at the time, him kind of looking back on it now, his nutrition uh he he's a, a actual nutritionist which is something that i didn't know about him before we started uh doing the research for this i think everybody will be very very happy with the interview we'll be right back to talk with about the best of the super juniors after our interview with dj black What's up, peeps, freaks, and geeks? Welcome back to this very special edition of the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast, brought to you in part by the Roar Network at thegorillaposition.com, Hameen Media, and last word on prowrestling.com. My name is Jargo. I'll be your host for the day, and today I am joined alongside a very special guest. He's a world traveler with stops inside the WWE, TNA, Lucha Underground, and currently working with the NWA and Ring of Honor. He's a former Lucha Underground trios champion, TNA King of the Mountain, and former three-time WWE tag team champion. Ladies and gentlemen, the Darewolf, PJ Black. Mr. Black, welcome to the show. Hey, man. Thank you so much for having me appreciate you taking out the time. Uh, Mr. Black, the first question that we ask all of our guests, uh, tell us a little bit about when you discovered your love of professional wrestling and kind of who was on top at the time so our listeners can get a little bit of reference for your early influences inside of the business. Oh, so my, my dad was a wrestler and a promoter, so um, I kind of grew up in the business, so I kind of idolized him when I was a kid. Uh, when I was eight, I, just, I made the conscious decision to be a pro wrestler when I when I get older, so, you know, like everyone from that year, from the 80s, early 90s, the colorful characters, those are the guys that I kind of look up to. Very cool, very cool. I know that you grew up in South Africa, and you actually still maintain a dual citizenship there since becoming a U.S. citizen in April of 2016. Uh, you did your early training with your father there, who was also the wrestler and promoter known as the Pink Panther. Tell us a little bit about the South African pro wrestling scene, both then and now. Okay, so in the uh, 80s and early 90s, uh, not many people know that South Africa was like an unofficial territory. And, um, you know, so I, I saw a lot of guys come up to our champion, and, you know, like Hogan and Andre and guys like that. But there was no internet or dirt sheets back then, so no one knew of this stuff. Um, so I, I got to see a lot of guys like that. And a lot of guys like Fitzsimmy and Rigo, they used to come stay there for like a year or two years at a time. Um you know, and, and around 1999, it completely died out. A couple of new companies started up, and there was a couple of shows with with, uh, with 15 shows and stuff like that. But uh, right now, I'm actually trying to build it up again. I started a company in South Africa recently, and we're going to do four big pay-per-views a year, and then take it from there, see how it goes. Awesome. That sounds great. What's the, what's the name of the company? It's called Slam Force Africa. 
Awesome. We'll have our, our people kind of start checking that out. Uh, many of us who have been following your career for years know about the South Africa connection. But what I hadn't realized until I was doing my research for the interview was you also spent five years of your early career in the UK training under Alex Shane and Mark Sloan at Frontier Wrestling Alliance. As well, you also received a degree in sports science in the UK. Were you training... And, and going to school and wrestling all at the same time? Was that all the same time frame? I was. It was all at the same time. I was going to school full-time and working at two or three jobs and wrestling on weekends. You know, like I didn't want any help from my parents to pay for any of that. So I kind of just did it all on my own. And like after five years of living in the UK, I, I kind of got kicked out, and, uh, <laughs> which is actually a good thing because uh, I did a couple of shows and then I got picked up by WWE shortly after that. That's awesome. Going along with the degree, you also work as a nutritionist. And I know you've been doing a lot of research in the field over the last year or so, combining the keto diet along with intermediate fasting. Tell us a bit about this other passion that you're working on, as well as you run a fitness blog. Yeah, I am. Um, so, so nutrition has always been my, my passion. That's what my degree is in. I have a master's degree, um, and, you know, and like Chris just I've been my whole life, I've been in, in the fitness industry, so I've been always researching different, you know, supplements and diets and, you know, fat diets and all these things. And finally, I found something after all these years that kind of like completely worked for me. And if you if you look at how the body works and how influence stuff like that works, it, it completely makes sense to eat that way. Um, not so much for athletes, but that's what I'm trying to bridge that gap on how athletes can get better performance with this sort of eating. And uh, that's what I'm doing right now. I, I, I'm writing a book about that with some recipes and, you know, my findings over the years. And, um, yeah, it's very, very exciting stuff, but I don't want to say too much about it, but it's coming soon. I know, I know you're, you're doing a lot of work inside of keto. When did you discover keto and, and when did you make that change in your own personal lifestyle? So, I, I mean, I've been thinking about doing it for years and years and years when I was younger. I kind of like felt like that did what I needed to do, but I, I just never, you know, it was hard for me to make the change. And only about, about eight months ago, I, I made this, the change and I was only going to do it for like 30 days or so to, uh, and then do the blood test and then run, see what it does to my hormones and my body and stuff like that. But I also like 40 days, I just, I, I really liked it so much that I just like stayed on a turn Tell us a little bit about this fasting, because I thought I read somewhere that you, you fast for 72 hours. Yeah, I do. I do 72 hours uh, once every once in a while. I'll do 24 hours once a month. And then the intermittent fasting, 16 hours, I'll do two or three times a week, uh, which which used to be hard for me. But now that I'm on the road so much, I travel, it's actually a little bit easier. Being somebody who follows the keto diet, do, does it present issues when you're on the road? Oh, you know, sometimes it does, but, uh, you know, like, then I, you know, I, it's, it's better for me to, to actually skip a meal than it is to, to get one in. So <laughs> by, by mixing the intermittent fasting and the keto, I just, uh, it makes it a little bit easier actually on the road where if you think, uh, like straight up, it, it, it sounds like it's harder, but it's, it's actually much easier. You know, like you still have to like be very knowledgeable of where you eat and like I actually to. Uh, luckily, with my schedule with ROH, I usually get my dates and my hotel rooms like a couple of days in advance. So I usually have my groceries delivered to wherever I'm going. So that also makes life a lot easier. 
Very cool. Most of our listeners, I'm sure, are most familiar with your work in 2010-2011 as part of the WWE, one of the last great storylines in the WWE, in my mind, the Nexus. You were only 29 years old at the time, but you were already a decade into the business. Tell us a little bit about that time period, what you were going through at the time, NXT, which was a game show at that point. And being inside of that moment, do you realize the gravity of that angle when you're living inside of it? Uh, no, none of us were at the time. We just thought it was something cool and something new. And, you know, the direction we were given by Vince was something fascinating. Um, going back a little bit, what you said about NXT, the game show, it was supposed to be like a, like a, like the Ultimate Fighter, you know, where a bunch of guys lived in the same house. And that was the, the original premises of it. But, you know, time got away from us and, you know, that never happened. So on the day they were like, oh, I guess we're just doing a wrestling show. And most of it was, everything was unscripted. Most people don't know that. Uh, we messed it up so bad that <laughs> onward was completely scripted. But, uh, you know, I mean, it, it made for some entertain, entertaining television. A lot of us got embarrassed a lot of times. You know, but I feel like the wrestler that happens a lot and that's to grow as a performer. I find it crazy that so much of that was unscripted when WWE at this point in time is is so well known for everything is so meticulously scripted. I know, I know. It was a crazy time indeed, you know, like and and I, I wish they would just they would give us a little bit of direction, which they never did. They were just like, Yeah, go out here here's a match and oh you have a promo right now <laughs> And a lot of it was live on T V too because we were shooting it on the on the East Coast and West Coast at different times and like you know, it was, it was a crazy time. It was a fun learning experience for sure. Have you ever sat down and watched any of that stuff back and just been like, holy crap? <laughs> I do, actually. I, I, I watch some of it back every once in a while, and people still send me gifts or gifts on, uh, you know, on social media about certain things that were funny to them. And, and uh, I, I show people like the obstacle course and stuff like that that we used to run. And because people go, oh, you should do Ninja Warrior or whatever the, those shows are. And I'm like, yeah, I used to do, I did a, I won an obstacle course once on NXT, check this out. <laughs> well, and especially the class that you were in there with. I mean, Wade Barrett was down there, Brian Danielson, yourself. It, that was, I mean, when you look at the great classes inside of NXT, if you just see that on paper without realizing it was a completely different format, that looks like even an amazing NXT class. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, if you look at it back now, like it's like even like the whole NXT storyline and the roster at that time, and you know, it, just look how far we've come. Like I feel like everything in wrestling moves so quickly. Yeah, that's for sure. You would leave WWE in 2015 doing stints and TNA working the independent scene before signing up for the second season of Lucha Underground, aligning yourself with Johnny wherever he's working today, Mundo, Taya, Jack Evans, the Worldwide Underground, which is one of my personal favorite factions that I've ever seen on a pro wrestling show. I just thought you guys had just incredible chemistry. Lucha Underground was a completely different experiment inside of the wrestling business. Tell us a little bit about how you found your way to the temple and the experience of a completely different format of TV show. Yeah, it was totally different and I, I really enjoyed it. That was some of the most fun I've ever had in wrestling. Um, they actually did call me for season one, but like I was like, yeah, I've never heard of this company and that, that was just when I quit WWE. So, you know, I didn't want to sign with anyone because like TNA called ROH and I didn't want to sign with anybody. So I was like, I just want to kind of do my own thing for a while. And I think DJ, the head writer, he called me. It was October 
first week in October somewhere, and he's like, yeah, we're starting up this new thing called Lucha Underground, and I was like, I've never heard of this. Maybe, uh, maybe give me a call back in a year. And he did, like, exactly a year later, calling back. He's like, yo, we're about to film season two. Are you in? And by this time, obviously, I've seen season one air on TV, and I was like, wow, this is the greatest thing ever. How did I say no to this? But, like, it was impossible for me to predict that was going to happen. And, yeah, it was just it was a, an amazing time, so much fun. Uh, you know, like I, I, I look up to Johnny, he's one of my heroes and, you know, then I got to tag with him and Jack Evans is my favorite wrestler of all time. And then they put us in that faction and, and they let us do whatever we wanted, which I feel like in wrestling, that doesn't happen a lot these days, but when it does, when things happen organically, that's why, that's what made the attitude era so good. You know, when things happen organically, people can relate to that and, and yeah, the rest is history. Yeah, the chemistry amongst that faction was just incredible. Some of the the best lines and some of the best humor throughout that show all came from the worldwide <laughs> underground. These days you're calling no, so these days you're calling Ring of Honor home as well as doing some work with the NWA, even challenging the reigning world heavyweight champion Nick Aldis for the ten pounds of gold recently. I know you had several options before signing with ROH. Tell us why you felt ROH was the right place for you in twenty nineteen. Um, it just said that the creative freedom again that they, they give me and also the schedule and one of the things that I've always wanted to do was uh, was New Japan, and so with their partnership with New Japan, I knew that was a step closer. So, you know, everything just fell into place, and uh, the money was good, the offer was good, and, and and the biggest thing for me, creative free freedom, and that that was a no brainer for me, kind of. You mentioned New Japan. I, I I was a little surprised as I was going through your career that you hadn't done any big stints inside of Japan. No, not yet, but it's uh, it's coming soon. Who promises, promises. I'm a big New Japan fan. Don't <laughs> tease me, PJ. Don't tease me. You debuted for ROH at Survival of the Fittest in 2018 and then signed an exclusive contract with ROH back in January that officially went into effect in March. During that time, we've seen you undergo quite a personality change inside of ROH, really starting with the matchup with Bandito at Honor Reign Supreme. As one of the veterans now inside of a very young locker room at ROH, did you feel an obligation to pass on your knowledge of the business and perhaps that led a bit to the change? And is there anyone inside of the locker room right now that you're looking forward to watching develop over the next five to 10 years in the business? Oh, wow. What a late question. What a great question. Uh, yeah, totally. Uh, that was also one of the reasons I felt about which because I, I kind of looked at the roster and everyone that they signed and I was like, yes, these are the guys I want to work. These are the guys that I can have great matches with. A lot of, a lot of older guys and a lot of, like you said, young up and comers like Ben Dito. I mean, when he signed, I know everyone was trying to sign him. Like literally every company on the planet was trying to sign him. And the, re- and he, the, the fact that he signed there meant something to me. I was like, that'd be cool. This company is doing something right. You know, they're trying to grow, they're trying to build on um, stuff. Because obviously they had a lot of top stars leave to other companies. So, uh, you know, yeah, guys, again, like guys like Rush and Bandito, guys like that. I was like, yep, these are guys, these guys are the future of the business for sure. Especially for ROA. So, it made, it, uh, made my decision very easy, and you know I get to work with these guys every week, which is fantastic. I've had some of my most memorable matches in the last month alone with these guys. Bandito just killing it in the best of Super Juniors over in Japan currently. When when you look at the landscape inside of ROH right now, what what is your goals? What do you have your sights set on for 2019? I just I just want to keep going on the fact that I am like you know having 
just trying to have the best matches possible and trying to show people what I can do because I feel like that was out for a year or two too. So people kind of don't know what uh, what PJ Black is all about. So I just want to like you know just do me and and let people get to see that. So let, let's talk a little bit about Lifeblood. We, we, we've kind of seen a little bit of a development inside of Lifeblood here with yourself where we can't necessarily tell if, if you're courting Lifeblood, if Lifeblood's courting you, who's trusting who at this point. Where do you stand with the group Lifeblood inside of ROH currently? Well, I, I kind of like all those guys. I respect all of them, and I, I really like what they're doing. You know, and They're all fantastic athletes, and um, you know, I, I feel like I can contribute to this group. And I was trying to join them, but at first they were a little bit hesitant. But now they have such Finney's uh, injured, and a few of the other guys, like Bandito's, also super juniors, and he's always on tour and stuff like that. So their numbers are a little bit down. So, you know, like only time will tell, but I'm trying to convince them to give me a shot. And then, uh, you know, when, once that happens, I, I kind of like where they're going and, and what they stand for. And I feel like that's, that's what I need to stand for right now, too, in ROH. And I feel like factions in ROH can can only be a good thing. Oh, that's absolutely for certain, especially when we see, uh, you know, friends of the show like Shane Taylor aligning with, you know, Bully Ray. And we, we got to have some kind of opposition to that. Right, exactly. And uh, I, I think this is going to be a very big year for, for ROH and a very exciting year, too. And, and, and for wrestling as a whole, with all the stuff popping up and the company starting and all that. I think it's a, a fantastic time to be a, a fan and an even better time to be a wrestler right now. We've got some huge things on the horizons for ROH, starting June 1st in Kent, Washington, the 2nd in Portland, Oregon. Then you all head back to the East Coast June 28th for Best in the World and June 29th in Philadelphia. Visit ROHWrestling.com for ticket information as well as how to become an Honor Club member to catch the shows live. Mr. Black, we want to thank you very much for joining us today. Tell the people how to keep up with you on social media and anything else that you'd like to plug before we let you go today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Um, if you go to my website, pjblack.com, all my links to social media will be on there. I'm very active on social media, especially Instagram and stuff like that. I have a little YouTube channel, which I document some of my travels, have some of my favorite matches on there. And yeah, basically everything you need to know is on pjblack.com. Thank you so much, PJ. Hopefully we'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much for your time, bro. Well, Huckleberry, this thing is getting um, to where there are clear front runners and there are clear people in the back and there are people making a name for themselves. Let's start things off with the A block. Shingo Takagi, unbeaten, still at 10 points. Ishimori with 8 points. Dragon Lee, the current IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion at 6 points. Jonathan Gresham, 6 points. Marty Skrull, Tiger Mask, Sho, Teton, Kanemaru, all at 4 points. And Taka Michinoku, who hasn't won a Best of the Super Juniors match in a very, very, very long time. 
still at zero points. Your B block, El Fantasmo, still unbeaten at 10 points. Taguchi, the only time to take him seriously throughout the course of the year. The best of Super Juniors at eight points. Will Osprey suffered a big loss to El Fantasmo. He's there at eight points. Robbie Eagles and Yo at six points. Bandito, Bushi, and Dookie. Rocky Romero all at two points. And Young Lion, Ren Narita, of course, pulling up the end at zero points. Rick, I don't know how much of this thing you've been watching. I have seen every match of the Best of Super Juniors. This has been a really, really fun tournament this year. Well, I can promise you this of what we learned Wednesday in the locker room from the Hami Media Group. Uh, I've seen way more of the best of the Super Juniors since Strangler Steve King, who confessed, even though he was a dominant, uh, a groundbreaking, uh, you know, one of those first ever high flyers, a cruiserweight back in his day, has never watched one match from the best of the Super Juniors. Standing out on this thing to me, though, honestly, and, and I, I've been bits and pieces. Because I have to keep up with you, Jargo. I have to keep up with where you're at. And every, I, I don't know how you do this. I mean, you, you manage the family, the little one, everything else you got going on. I but don't you know put either. these things in. So, you know, I, I do it like in this fast forward motion. Really stands out to me. One of the biggest things, Dragon Lee still with striking distance as the champ. Your pick, you know, to go out there and create his own destiny going forward to give us that dream match. Still in striking distance. Going in, I was very interested to see how Gresham was presented. Uh, very impressed at this point. I think every performance out there, win or lose, he is making a name for himself in front of that Japanese audience. But possibly the biggest one is year after year, and his name keeps coming up this week on the show. When is Marty going to have his breakout, his breakthrough performance in this tournament? Marty versus Shingo was a whole lot of fun. Marty uh, pulled out every dirty trick that he could possibly think of, including Brody King, to try to take down the dragon. And even that wasn't enough. Even an umbrella to the face wasn't enough to take down the dragon, Shingo Takagi. Shingo and what he is doing inside of this tournament is just incredible, but I am picking up on one little thing that's that's starting to be a lot of fun for me. Juice Robinson jumping on commentary, and uh, he is calling out Shingo for the same thing I have been calling Shingo out for. I want to see Shingo step on a scale. I don't believe that Shingo Takagi is a junior heavyweight in any way, shape, or form. Has this ever happened in the history of the tournament, though? Could they get him disqualified? That's what I'm wondering. I'm Because now he's he's brought it up the last two days that he wants to see Shingo step on a scale. And I'm wondering if at some point one of the opponents is going to call for Shingo to step on a scale and prove that he is under the weight limit to be a junior. And, man, wouldn't that be interesting to see somebody be disqualified from the tournament after winning every match? Well, hey, we talked about it on a hashtag HCM Sports. We never thought we'd see that in a horse racing. We never thought we'd be talking. It would consume our show. Could we see this here? You know, going back to the late, great Crash Holly, you know, who pr was trying to prove he was a super heavyweight. Could Juice come down here? I mean, could this be one of his next great challengers? Get him disqualified. If you want some fuel, you want some fire under someone's ass to come after you, steal a title away like you just went through this this entire grueling tournament. You want this one of the most prestigious junior you know heavyweight tournaments in the world, 
and to have that taken away from you because some loudmouth American asshole. That's a hell of a storyline. I kind of like the entire idea of it, although I don't think that's necessarily where things are going. I think Shingo's going to run through this thing undefeated. I don't think anybody's going to catch Shingo. I think A-Track Black was right when he picked Shingo Takagi going into this thing. Um, I thought this morning if Dragon Lee could get the win over Shingo that maybe my my wildest dreams would come true. But I think we're going to be looking forward to a rematch of that matchup, Shingo Takagi and you know Dragon Lee. You know kind of what, what I'd really like to see there. I, I kind of like where this is coming out because it's, it's a simple story, but it's so effective. Where you know Shingo runs through undefeated and then is disqualified, and then eventually you know just a couple months down the road, Juice is getting ready for the G1, so Shingo challenges him for his spot in the G1. Ooh, I can get behind that too. And then he, you know, and it obviously goes on to win the thing, or not the whole tournament, wins that match and enters himself into it. Yeah, I kind of want to see Shingo Takagi versus Juice Robinson now. Taiji Ishimori, uh, he was unbeaten going through this tournament until this morning when he ran into the heel master, Kanemaru. Kanemaru has picked up two wins, one by countout, one absolutely by crook this morning over Ishimori. Big loss for Ishimori. Um I'm still thinking that it's going to come down to those two the final night to see who's going to win the A block. Well, even if you don't know the individuals, just tune in for this thing because they're so masterfully structured. The yeah. way these things play out going into the you know those finals, I mean, you're you're on the edge of your seat. Yeah, because there's always just huge upsets that you never would see coming, like Kanemaru over Ishimori. Hey, when it comes to New Japan tournaments, you might pay for the whole seat, but you only need the edge. Dragon Lee has looked fantastic throughout this entire tournament, even though he has taken a couple of losses. Uh, Tiger Mask, I really enjoy. Well, you know, well, on that, I'm sorry to cut you off there, Jargo. But so on that, you know, even with his losses, now we've got challengers, right? Because they are entitled to championship opportunities. Yep, absolutely. And he's still coming out in the Kamatachi mask, Hiromu's old mask from Mexico. So I still think Hiromu's coming. I'm hoping Dragon Lee is ready because Hiromu is coming. Tiger Mask and Jonathan Gresham, those two guys put on a match the other night that was absolutely freaking incredible. You talk about you watch stuff in fast forward. I felt like I was watching that match at fast forward pace at regular speed. Absolutely fantastic. I didn't realize Tiger Mask could still go like that. That was great to see. Kind of a, a little highlight for the undercard there. Looking at the B block, El Fantasmo seems to have this thing on lock. He's got a big win over Will Ospreay in a singles match. That match was fantastic. Damn near burned Corrick and Hall to the freaking ground. And now it's looking like with the win over Ospreay already, El Fantasmo at 10 points, his biggest challenger is Taguchi. That's right, Taguchi. The leader of Team Taguchi. Yeah, the guy who thinks he's a rugby player. Man, it comes best to Super Junior's time. And all of a sudden, Taguchi just remembers, holy shit, I'm a really good professional wrestler. Taguchi, is that thing, that little handheld game where you have to feed your animal and make sure you walk it? I I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. 
you you would have been one of those people that played one of those games. Mm-hmm. That sounds about right. Uh, I do like terrible television. <laughs> there is that. Robbie Eagles has looked really, really good inside of this tournament. Both show and yo representing Rapungi 3K have looked absolutely fantastic in this tournament. One of the disappointments for me has been Bandito. Only at four points, I, I kind of expected more out of Bandito going through best of super juniors. Really? I mean, at this point right now, he, you know, ever since joining Ring of Honor, he's been so booked down. There, there's been nothing spectacular out of him. You know, he's become like the ricochet of the group. Kind Where of it, feels you know, that it, way. It just, it, hey, he's going to go out there and give you the flash. You're supposed to just respect his athleticism, but there's no quality wins. There's nothing that's sustainable behind him, and, it, and it's transferring from promotion to promotion. Bushi with four points. Bushi's got two wins. Happy for Bushi. I was afraid that he was going to finish with zero points. Doki with two points. He's only got one win over Young Lion Ren Narita, but I'm really enjoying his work. He reminds me so much of El Desperado. It's absolutely crazy. Rocky Romero at two points. Rocky Romero had a hell of a match. Um, I forget, was that with, that would have been with Yo. I always get Sho and Yo confused, but those two had a hell of a match and it seemed like we were going to get some tension inside of Rapungi 3K. Of course, we talked about it with show over in the A block that we, we would like to see him go up against Rocky Romero, but they kind of teased it with yo, but at the end of the match, and, and this has kind of been a theme throughout this entire tournament at the end of the match, there's the big show of respect and everybody goes home happy. There's no heat inside of this tournament, unless it's El Phantasmo. Everybody wants to kick El Phantasmo's ass. They're, they're on fire. They're chasing him. Yeah. And I, I'm still kind of torn on El Phantasmo because the, the gimmick is so close to Prince Devitt. Like I can't tell if it's working or if it's not working, because the guy's getting heat, but I can't tell if it's good heat or bad heat. I think it's one of those things, it's going to take time to let this thing develop out. Regardless, it should be a good rest of the tournament as well. Big matchup coming up tonight, if you're listening, as this thing has dropped. Let's go ahead, let's shift, and let's talk a little bit about TakeOver 25. Rick, the official card for TakeOver 25 has been announced. Hold on, we got breaking news, we got breaking news. Uh-oh. Uh, I'm going to announce my official engagement to my Kel-Kel from Canada, from the Uh Bush Beer offers to pay for wedding, supply beer, and have a Bush guy officiate the thing. There you go. Would that get you back into Canada if you marry a Canadian? It had to take me, right? You would think. Huh. Do I, do I want to go back? I don't know, man. If they don't keep that, they don't stop their shit here pretty quick. They're no, hold on, hold on, hold on. You know, you know, you know where I'm sitting at. So you know what? Right here. I know they can't see this, but you know what? Fuck you, Canada. Fuck you. <laughs> they, they don't stop with their socialist bullshit. They're never going to become a state. Let's talk about takeover 25. The, the card is kind of coming to fruition and, when I talked about it a couple of weeks ago, what I was projecting, I just about freaking nailed this card, Huckleberry. Pretty much you headed down. I was always thinking, though, that you had weeks of programming ahead of us, that you had it on the shelf at work. Oh, no, 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 no. I wish. No. I, I, I know. Yeah, you nailed it. Absolutely. I, was it kind of played out? And again, on paper, I know these individuals are going to deliver. 
but it seems kind of like a a lackluster. It, that's really not a lot a knock, but it seems like a letdown. Is, is this a standalone show? I think so. I th- the last couple weeks of NXT TV have been really, really good in building towards what we're going to be seeing at TakeOver. Uh, one big change that we've seen to NXT TV before we talk about these matches is Beth Phoenix. Beth Phoenix has joined the commentary team. I don't know where Percy is or what happened to Percy, but Beth Phoenix is now an NXT commentator. You know, I always enjoyed Percy. I mean, he just, he had his subtle shots. Wasn't over the top. Wasn't as obnoxious as uh, on Saxton. I thought or, he'd got or, or really, really good the last couple of, like six months to a year. He'd really stepped his game up. Well, maybe this is a promotion of sorts for him. I don't know where they're sending him, but maybe they want his presence felt somewhere else. Immediately, I'm thinking they might be they might be replacing Renee. Yeah, that was my first and immediate thought too. Was if this plays into Renee Young whatsoever? Well, outside of that, you know, it, it, they love that tie-in. They love you know you got the Hall of Famer. You got any tie-in to Edge that you need there. And I think she's. She's doing an adequate job. Uh, it's nothing that's knocking in out of the park, but she holds her spot. Yeah. I mean, like, she she's just kind of there. She's just another, like, WWE commentary people just seem so interchangeable to me at this point. Well, what else on the roster isn't? Well, yeah. I mean, they, they just, they don't have their own voice whatsoever. But well, like that's, you said. They design it that way. They design yeah. it so you're just a part. You're just a clock in the machine that can be taken out. And I'm sitting here in this room and I'm looking at a drill, drill set of drill bits over there. Which one can fit at the right time? Which one do you need? You're not going to miss any of them. Yeah. Uh, one thing I did want to talk about from WWE TV this week is the 24-7 title. Because they made a comment that this thing could make its way to NXT and NXT UK. And Rick, I don't want that at all. There is no reason for this god-awful monstrosity of a title that they've already dropped the ball on, I'd like to point out. Uh, for this thing to make its way to NXT TV. We, we talk about the continuity issues inside of ROH. This is just begging for continuity issues between NXT and the main roster. You know what? When this thing was announced, we were talking off air. We've heard everyone else. And I think the Wednesday locker room for the Hummy Media Group, they did an amazing job breaking down how terrible a fucking idea this is, especially coming from someone like Strangler Steve. We can go all about that. I, I want to shift the gears here just a little bit. I'm wondering. They're looking at their programming right now. They're looking at their ratings. They're looking at what people are saying uh, from from people like us, help people ahead of us to us, just to your casuals. I wonder if there's a sit around in them. Okay. They don't like this. They don't like that. They don't like this. What can we do that is so shitty that makes everything else look fucking amazing? And someone's let's do a 24 seven title. So let's just set the fucking, we don't set the bar. We are the bar. Set it so fucking low that everything else looks fucking amazing. My personal favorite argument that I have heard for the 24-7 title is, well, this is a great way to get undercard people, you know, on the show that wouldn't normally be on the show. And it's like, or 
one of your 37 fucking writers could actually write a story for the undercard. Well, even on this, Josh, you know, I'm starting to lose my hair a little bit. You've already lost yours. If that's not a fuck enough reason to pull your fucking hair out, I don't know what it is. It, no, and here's what you know. they said. This can happen anywhere. This could be at 205, like you were saying, 205 NXT. If that's your intent to get people to tune into those shows, then you don't have the Benny Hill fucking losers running around. How about you? How about this? You got two great fighting fucking champions, two great fighting fucking champions. So how about Kofi Kingston one night invites, hey, Velveteen Dream, come to SmackDown. I got something. I got a proposal for you. Now we're intrigued. We're going to tune in, right? So at that point, Kofi brings him out and says, you know what? I'm a fighting champion, but I'm going to do it on your turf. I'm going to come to the next NXT show. I'll wrestle you on NXT. So now we got people tuned into SmackDown literally for a legit fucking fight. Now they're tuned in there. But then even Dream's like, you know what? I came in my gear. I want to fight tonight on SmackDown. So sending like Nakamura or something like that. So in reply, Seth Rollins, no, I'm the fighting champ. I'm the universal champ. I'm the top champ. I know there's a hungry guy on 205. I'll go to 205 and I'll wrestle fucking Tony Nese. But now I'm supposed to just because Drake Maverick's running around with his fucking dick hanging out, fucking can't even trip over, you know, trip it over everything, trying to figure it out, trying to tune into this. Well, and the thing that irritates me is like, even if you wanted to do this 24-7 title, they've already dropped the ball on it. Like this thing should have its own Twitter account by now. This thing should have changed hands at least two dozen times between the end of SmackDown and the time that we're recording this thing. And as far as I know, our truth is still the champion. I went to their Twitter account and I looked, I didn't see anything about the title changing hands. Like this should be an avenue that they're using to drive to their YouTube, to their Twitter. You know, like, no, you're exactly right here in working sponsorship. Like, Absolutely. like one of the first ones should have been R-Truth picking up a pizza at Papa John's, who's their main sponsor right now. And somebody comes in and hits him with a pie, you know, and it buries him under it. This is an absolute disaster joke. So I'm wondering if it is, if it truly is, let's set the bar so fucking low that everything else looks good. This thing just screams Bruce Pritchard to me. You know, and, and for every good idea that Bruce Pritchard has had, he's had several bad ones as well. Okay, even as you say, I mean, you already started here the positive twist because sometimes you're sitting in a you're sitting in creative and you're given things and they say make this happen. I love how you just laid it out there. What else would you have done here? I mean, this this whole thing, Billy Ray Valentine went freaking crazy on the look of this thing. I, I didn't even care about that. And anyone even is going to complain now about Shawn Michaels, Undertaker, Goldberg taking Saudi money, Mick Foley going out there and shilling this. And he did an amazing job. He cut the Poor one Mick. of the most brilliant freaking promos I've ever seen on this damn thing. I hope you enjoy the payday because now you're linked to the universal title and this thing. You've unveiled the two worst freaking titles we've ever seen. And the audience turns on a legend. Yeah, that was sad. That was sad. And and I felt bad for Mick because Mick seemed like he really took that personally. If you look at his Twitter afterwards. Uh, hey, do, you, do you think he went out there? Do you think he did that? Uh, obviously, did, did you think he was like thought it was a good idea or is Dewey's job in trouble? Man, I don't know. It makes you wonder, doesn't it? Or was it Dewey's idea? Very well could have been. <laughs> 
Let's talk about some championships that do matter. Let's start off with the NXT Tag Team Championships. Last week on NXT TV, we saw the War Raiders came out and they were going to hand over the titles to Mr. William Regal. Out came the Street Profits and they said, "Uh uh-uh, you ain't just giving up those titles. We're going to take them from you. We end up having a match between the two that is interrupted by the Forgotten Sons and the one-two punch and basically the rest of the NXT tag team division. So now the War Raiders or the Viking Raiders or the Viking Warriors or whatever the hell War Machine is called this week, uh, they have turned over the NXT tag team championships. We're going to have a fatal four-way. It's going to be the Street Profits versus the one-two punch versus the Forgotten Sons versus the Undisputed Era, the team of Kyle O'Reilly and Bobby Fish, also known as Red Dragon. Oh, yeah. And Mr. Regal raised the stakes a little bit. This thing is going to be a fatal four-way tag team ladder match. This thing is going to be an absolute train wreck is what it's going to be. And now, Rick, we are getting reports that Bobby Fish could have potentially been injured at an NXT house show over the course of the last week. You know, right from the get-go, I was a little disappointed once again that they're going to just relinquish titles. And I loved when they came out and said, you know what? You're not just going to hand those over. We're going to take them from you. I wish that would have happened. I wish it would have set up that moment right there where all the teams came out and challenged them for a match. I'm sick of this right now. If you're going to stand on your own as a brand, stop pretend, you know, stop acting like you're graduating to this grander class. I would have rather just seen War Machine in this match. Right. I mean, what's going to kill them right now to go work this match here, you know, and then drop the thing? Yeah, I mean, like we haven't really seen the one-two punch on TV that much over the course of this last set of takeover to takeover tapings. You know, if it would have been the Street Profits versus War Machine versus the Forgotten Sons versus the Undisputed Era, I'd be way more interested in this thing. Well, and then then you then you line up one-two punches that next great challenger. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, the, the way they're handling this, you know, just even going back, that women's division has been kind of tainted ever since Asuka just handed over the title. Now you're doing the same thing with the tag division, which already on itself has fallen off the radar a little bit because you have so much great talent down there right now and so little time to spotlight it. Yep. Uh, speaking of the Undisputed Era, they have a, another little bit of a, a problem inside of the NXT universe, and his name is... Bro. Yeah, the original bro, Matt Riddle. Matt Riddle is just raising hell with the Undisputed Era over this last set of tapings, and now Roderick Strong is being entrusted to go and take care of the lightweight for the Undisputed Era. Um, Rick, this entire takeover... They're not, they're not calling it TakeOver Bridgeport. They're not calling it TakeOver Connecticut. They're calling it TakeOver 25. What they should call it is TakeOver Undisputed Era because you have the Undisputed Era in the Tag Team Championship match. Here you have Roddy versus Matt Riddle. And then later on, we're going to have Adam Cole versus Johnny Gargano. I kind of feel like this entire night should be built around giving the Undisputed Era that elevation inside of NXT, but I'm terrified they're just going to have Matt Riddle kick the shit out of Roderick Strong. Oh, hold on, hold on here. Uh, I just gave him the bird, but I, I think I can see him over there. I think I see him kind of in the, the sunset. Give him a shout-out to my favorite bromo, Big Joe. <laughs> Give him a shout-out over in Canada there. I, I think you're exactly right. I think this 
is this the beginning of the end or is it like a a new beginning for undisputed? Yeah, because you can't you cannot stop right now, especially when it comes to Riddle. You cannot stop that momentum. I mean, he he's on a ride right now. Yeah, Matt Riddle, an is, undisputed ride. Matt Riddle is that kid just has a rocket ship tied to him, and I don't know if somebody gave him the rocket ship or if he just went and took it. But I love him calling out Brock Lesnar. I I love that immediately after Brock Lesnar won Money in the Bank, Matt Riddle's like, "Oh, welcome back, bro." Dude, I, I, I'm waiting for the it, that match, even more so than those two hooking up inside the ring. I'm looking forward to just Heyman and Riddle. Oh, yeah. And like, no, no, no. And he, Riddle just walking up. Hey, bro. And he's like, didn't I hire you back in 94? <laughs> <laughs> and I like that we're seeing a bit more serious side out of Matt Riddle here. This week, we saw Matt Riddle jump the entire Undisputed Era from behind because, you know, Matt Riddle versus four freaking guys. That seems like it's a legit fight before we finally saw Johnny Gargano come down and join in on the party. Matt Riddle and Roderick Strong, this has the potential to be a really, really good match. I'm looking forward to the matchup. I mean, you talk about, where do you think this falls on the card? I mean, as we're sitting here looking at this, it, it might be the opener. And they're known for coming out with a solid open that really doesn't ruin the rest of the card. They're also known for opening with the tag team match. That seems like that's kind of become the, the I want to know with takeover that, with formula. That gimmick, with that gimmick stuck on that, if they would go that way. I think they're going to open with this match, and I think it's going to set the tone for the rest of the evening. And when you come out of the gate, that's what you want. We don't want a glowing bee with five minutes of freaking promos to set our tone. You want something that's high energy, high impact, it's going to present, you know, give you a variety to different audiences. I see what you did there. Let's talk about the NXT Women's Championship. Shayna Baszler is going to take on EO Shiree. Uh, EO this week took out all three horsewomen with a freaking kendo stick. The matchup was uh, Candice LeRae versus Reina Gonzalez. Candice getting the big win because, you know, that's what Candice should do against a talent like Reina Gonzalez. But afterwards, the three horsewomen attack Candice LeRae because that's what the three horsewomen do. They're the dominant females inside of NXT, and Candice had stuck her nose where it didn't belong. So they were out to get their retribution, and out comes Io with a freaking kendo stick, and she lit them women up. Holy cow, man. You should, y'all should get EO Charade to go play for the Cincinnati Reds the way she was swinging that stick. Well, we can plug her in right behind Vado, you know, the best pure hitter in baseball. But when is enough here with this division? We're talking, I mean, we already got Baser running through. To, what is this, like her third time through this thing? Second. Oh, okay, forgive me. Second time through this thing. You know, where, where are we going to get the next step? What is the next move? I'm talking about, here's what I'm talking about, two belt Baszler taking that NXT Women's Championship up the Raw and saying, you know what, bitch? You beat my friend, you ain't going to beat me. I'm coming for your... Uh-oh, we may have lost Huckleberry. I want these messages. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Stevie Richards. I'm here to tell you, you don't necessarily need all this equipment to get in the best shape of your life. All you need is this, a resistance band. 
I'm so excited to offer the 12-week resistance band training program to you, which features an interactive PDF with full overview videos, modifications, descriptions of all the exercises, scalability, no matter what fitness level or what age you are, the PDF scales the workout to you. Also, after your instant download of the PDF, you get full direct email support right from me, as well as access to a Facebook group with an awesome interactive community. I can't wait to help you take control of your fitness journey. So just put in stevierichardsfitness.com, go to the store, and download the 12-week resistance band training program. Hey, we're back. <laughs> Welcome back, Huckleberry. Welcome back. Word from CB Richard Fitness. Yeah, there you go. So what were you saying now, Shayna Baszler, two belts? Shayna, two belts? Hey, I'm saying Baszler, two belts. That's what we need. We You're talking about wild cards and shakeups. Have her retain, show up on Raw, rocking that beautiful NXT Women's Championship and call out Becky for that Raw Championship. You did my girl, but you ain't going to do me. Man, you know, while I feel like that's incredibly appealing, like I I really want to see Shayna Baszler versus Becky Lynch. At this point, I kind of want Shayna Baszler to go to SmackDown because Shayna Baszler versus Bayley. Just seems that's, very, very I, appealing. I, I mean, that's not your money. That's not your story. You know, Becky put down Rhonda. So where do you make your statement? And, and if you're Shayna Baszler, you've been overshadowed because Rhonda was given everything while you had to come up. I mean, she started over here in Cleveland. She did the training. She worked AIW. Then she went to NXT. She's dominated there. Now she's here to make a statement. Bailey has nothing to do with that. Becky is the target. But it's no on Twitter. Where do you want to see Shayna Baszler, the queen of spades? You want to see her on the red or the blue? Hopefully, after Io Shirai takes this title from her. I mean, I, I, I'm ready. No, I don't, I don't, I don't want ready. the title to be gone. I want her to show up with it. And then, and then you know what you do? You want to do market, you want, you want marketing here instead of a 24-7 title? Have her lose the NXT championship on Raw to somebody from NXT and then you can watch your new champ on our network on Wednesdays. You know, you know, here's a simple thing. Instead of this stupid 24-7 title, how about you just run a fucking commercial for your own brand? Yeah, I would appreciate that. That's for sure. Let's talk about the NXT North American Championship. Everything was being set up. It was going to be the Velveteen Dream taking on Donovan Dijakovic. But that match has been shelved as Dijak had to go get uh, knee surgery done. So we had to find a replacement, and we found the most gorgeous replacement. That's right. Look, everyone, it's Tyler. Tyler Breeze is back in NXT, and Huckleberry, this is going to be my match of the year. I just know it. The, the build between these two, just one night, one promo of these two guys in the ring talking absolute shit to one another was fantastic. I want to see this feud continue forever. I want to see Prince Pretty versus the Velveteen Dream for freaking ever. Let me throw this at you. I, I, I knew you were going to pop all over this thing. But when I look at the personality of the dream, could Fandango come into play here? It's possible. Um, but it, I think I don't think they're going to go that route because the, the story that they're telling here is we now have inspired. 
we have motivated Tyler Breeze now that he is back inside of NXT. And, you know, Dream was taking some shots, you know, at, at you know, Breeze running around on the red and blue playing buddy cop. Um, he, he actually accused Tyler of not being able to hack it on the red and blue brands. And, and that's clearly not the case. You see, what was what happened was Tyler was uninspired. There was nothing going on on the red or blue that really did it for Tyler Breeze. So he just kind of dicked around while he was up there. But now he has his sights set on the North American Championship and come takeover. I'm really looking forward to this match, man. I know, I know Velveteen Dream's going to win this match. I don't think it's necessarily that cut and dry at this point. Well, I was just going to throw this at you here. I mean, could this be a changing of the card? You know, switch that title where Breeze can hold that mid card and Velve goes on to the main event scene. Yeah. We, we've talked about this for months now. Yep. You know, the, the mid number, you know, the midsummer night's dream. You know, could SummerSlam be his defining moment? And as we were just talking about, run a fucking NXT commercial on WWE television, they have been running the experience. And when it comes to people like Tyler Breeze, when it comes to people like Candice LeRae, who I assume both of them are, they're still in NXT or in Tyler's case, back in NXT to kind of play that player coach role. I'm assuming Tyler is kind of going to become like a finishing guy when, when all is said and done and it's time to go to the red or the blue, your final feud will be against Tyler Breeze. Just like your opening feud was against Cassius Ono in the women's case. It's it's right now we're seeing a lot of Candace working with this new talent, very much like Ono does with the men. I think in order to do that with Tyler though, you have to rebuild his credibility and this is a great way to reestablish Tyler Breeze inside of NXT. Well, and in the way this is going to be received, I mean, you got Dream, who is, you know, that arrogant, cocky SOB, but he is beloved. You can you can establish Breeze once again as that total heel. I think they're kind of going the other way with it. Watching this program, it almost felt like they were presenting Tyler as the baby face and Dream as the heel, which I thought was an interesting. I, I know, dynamic. I know what they're trying to present here, but I think it's it's going to be one of those those situations where the audience is going to turn the dynamic. And I think this final match is a match like that as well. It's the NXT Championship. It's going to be Johnny Gargano taking on Adam Cole one more time. This time at TakeOver 25 for the NXT Championship. No bullshit this time. Ain't no two out of three falls special stipulation. This is going to be one guy versus one guy in the first pinfall to a finish. Rick, what do you think of this? I mean, like, Johnny Gargano finally climbed that mountain. He's finally the NXT Champion. But we always say the money is in the chase. We saw him do this with the NXT North American Championship where he won the title and then he immediately lost it. I'm kind of feeling a repeat of that story here with Adam Cole. I think, you know, there's a bigger picture here as well. If he loses Goldie, it's out of the family. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, so that that gives some fuel. It seems like they're all on good terms right now. They're back together a little bit. You got one healing. Uh, the Goldies and the family, you know, they've, they've been doing 
social media together. If you lose that prize possession, where does that put Chapa? Yeah, that's a very, very good point. Um, I feel like Adam Cole kind of needs this. You know, as much as we talk about Samoa Joe and all he does is lose big matches, kind of feel like Adam Cole needs well, this. Well, as we're laying out here, Neil, you're talking about it. What does this, what does this show mean to Undisputed Era? Uh, it's either, you know, it's almost shit or get off the pot here. If, if they can't get over, especially in this main event, it's time to go to other pastures. Yeah. And I don't want to see them leave NXT right now. The The main roster is so damn convoluted. The last thing that anybody needs is to see Kyle O'Reilly and Adam Cole chasing after the 24-7 title on SmackDown. The undisputed experience, man. Coming to you. Oh, God. So it's here, Huckleberry. It's finally time. AEW Double or Nothing coming to us live on pay-per-view from the MGM Grand Saturday night. That's right. No more so many weeks away, so many months away. It is finally here. It is AEW Double or Nothing. I'm feeling it, Huckleberry. I'm getting into the mood finally. You know what? This is what it's about here. This is all the speculation. What we've been building up to. What's going to happen? We're hitting tea time. We're going to tee it up. We're going to hit it right down the fucking fireway. We're going to see what these guys are bringing. I got to believe they're going to have something big this weekend. So let's start things off with the pre-pre-show. Because we've already seen the first match from AEW. It came to us from WrestleGate Pro over in England. Pac versus Hangman Page. This thing was released Tuesday afternoon on the AEW website. Huckleberry, we kind of knew how this thing went down, but now we've at least seen the video. What did you think of the match? Well, exactly as you said, you know, it it was all about this tease, this hanging out there. it, It really made me wonder all along if this was the plan. They know exactly really what they're feel. doing, 100%. The way they have laid this out, they set up the drama. People freaking out. Is this a dispute over booking? Think about we, – we've all talked about We've heard you know, all of our partners, all of our colleagues on their shows, You know what is actually happening here. They've already caused a ruckus. Think, think about an, a great implosion, a big bang. What killed the territories? Because no one could get along and book together. So they've already created this great dynamic before they've even hit the ground running. Chaos creates cash, correct? That's the phrase. And that's what you've got here. They are going in here with all the speculation on a mid-card match. We're not even talking about you know the main events, the three big main events here. We've got chaos already on the mid-card. How are they going to work with other promotions? How is this going to happen here? You know Who's the big dog? They've already set this up. The, uh, when you really dive into it and you take a step back, as as we always say, you know, you know, take a walk around it, look at it from all angles. This is almost genius. I'm very curious how this thing is going to play out, though, because when we had heard that this matchup was canceled for double or nothing. They had said that Hangman Page was still going to work the show. Of course, the original stipulation for this was Hangman Page versus Pac. The winner was going to be in the title match for the first ever crowning of the AEW champion. That stipulation has now been put on Alpha versus Omega 2. 
I feel like Hangman Page just kind of got screwed in this entire thing. And now after seeing the match, it, it's almost like they're working an injury angle because I mean, he got the full on Pillman Street treatment to his ankle there from Pac. Are we even going to see Hangman Page Saturday in Las Vegas? Well, it'll be interesting to see the picture surfacing over here the next couple of days. What is his participation, you know, at StarCast? What is going to happen there? If I'm them, I'm with you 100%. I hold him off. Hey, dude, go down and have a nice vacation down in Mexico somewhere, you know, wherever you want to go. Take your time. Let's freaking sell this thing. Can we get some, like, pictures? Like, can you, can you put some makeup on it and make it look like it's, like, purple? Put it up on your there Instagram. We- there we go. Hey, sell the damn thing. Uh, it'll be very interesting. Or, all right, how would you feel about this? Last time we saw him actually in an AEW-esque ring at tw- at 21, would Hangman get the pop? I don't know. I don't know if he would get the pop there or not. All right, now what if a bunch of penises carried him out? Oh, God. Because last time we saw him in an AEW-esque ring, he was getting carried out by penises. Man, I and again, I love Joey Ryan, but I don't want to see it. I don't want to see it. You know one that I would like to see? who officially joined the Huckleberry Club over the last couple of days, Tama Tonga. If you wanted in the Huckleberry Club, man, all you had to do was say so. You're listening to that ho-ass podcast. All you had to do was ask, man. No, I I think he was too worried in Chicago about hitting on your beautiful wife. Yeah, she could get a hug. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she likes herself some Tama Tonga. How about Tama Tonga versus Hangman Page? That That place would pop pretty good for Tama, I think. I don't know. I, I don't know if that's that, that big of that moment. And you're, they're really going to have to work this thing. And I, hey, you know what? I don't even want to speculate. I just want to just be invested and just be in that moment. All right. Well, let's move to the actual pre-show. This thing going down at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The main card kicking off at 8. This is a pay-per-view show, so there will be a hard window and a hard out for the show. Keep that in mind. The pre-show, Casino Battle Royale. One of the most interesting matches on this entire card, Rick. And they're doing it on the pre-show as a way to get people invested in this thing. I think this is a genius move. How do you feel about this match being on the pre-show? Absolutely love it. We talk. We talked about for years since we even started our podcast doing business on the pre-show to move along. That's your last pitch. You're heading towards the finish line. That's your final kick. You want to get people invested. You want. You want to entice that consumer. You know they, that that's the dish they want to order. Absolutely genius. We saw it with the over the budget battle royal, which was, just, was traditional, which was fantastic. But now here, and you notice, Jack, everyone out there that's ever listened to us knows I am a huge mark for a battle royal gimmick in any shape or form. But I absolutely love what these guys are doing right here, reinventing this thing, this wave of people that are be coming in. Hell, you could even. I'm looking forward to see the interaction 
as they come out in these waves? Do you jump somebody or, you know, are you trying, do you want to be the last man that steps through worrying that the other four might immediately throw you out? What is your, are you trying to go to different angles? How do you enter? They're so, this dynamic is so amazing. I also think that it's interesting that they're coming out in groups of five because that's, that's what I love because you're going to have like that first group, you're going to have two guys square off and you're going to have two other guys square off. And hopefully the fifth guy is MJF and he just like finds a way to hide from everybody. That's kind of what I expect to have happen. Well, it's just, I was mentioning, even when you're coming out that second wave, how do you, how do you get in the ring? Yeah. What, I mean, this changes the whole dynamic. It's going to be a lot of fun. Some of the participants announced Sonny Kiss, Brandon Cutler, Ace Romero, Glacier, Brian Pillman Jr., Sunny Days, MJF, Joey Janela, Dustin Thomas. That's no legs for those that don't know. Billy Gunn, Jimmy Havoc, Michael Nakazawa, Jungle Boy, Isaiah Cassidy, Mark Ken, Luchasaurus, and Sean Spears, otherwise known as... Yeah, the former Ty Dillinger. Well, let me ask you a technicality here with uh, Mr. No Legs. How does he get eliminated from the Battle, battle Royal? Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. I, I had a fun conversation with our friend Alfred last night. We, we were talking about, you know, like if, if Jericho wins the, the Alpha versus Omega match and No Legs wins the Battle Royal, I just want to build a match around Jericho trying to put No Legs in the walls. Save that for television because that will be tremendous classic Jericho. Yeah, I, I can just imagine like Jericho's facials trying to put no legs in the walls of Jericho. I got to see that. Uh, so looking at some of these participants, and of course, there's a lot of other names out there that could potentially be in this battle royal. Now, knowing Rick that whoever wins this battle royal will face the winner of Alpha versus Omega 2 for the AEW championship. Are you favoring anyone either on this list or not on this list to win this thing? I'm wondering, you know, going back, we were talking to locker room. This is really going to set up this list of individuals, such an incredible list of talent, but it screams you're establishing your mid card. But now this is going to define your champion. I, I, I feel it's got to come with a surprise entrance. I feel like it's got to be a surprise entrant or MJF or Joey Janela. I feel like those the those three are the three that I'm favoring inside of this. Oh, all right. So, you know, with this, all right, so let's say, let's throw out here MJF. Then who's the right opponent? Is it Jericho? It's Is it Kenny. Omega? It's Kenny. And, and, and then you would go with Janela versus Jericho. Establishing two undercards there. I, I love what you're going. I just don't know this whole situation, the way they've laid this out, screams to me defining your first champion. Of course, we'll, we'll talk about Jericho versus Omega, but I want to throw another name out here that we know has been kind of attached with all elite wrestling, and that's the artist formerly known as Wade Barrett. Is there a possibility that Wade Barrett could come out of this battle royal? And if so, if you end up doing like a Wade Barrett versus Chris Jericho, do you want an actual like WWE match for your first champion? Like, I feel like that rules out Wade Barrett. I feel like that rules out Moxley. I feel like that rules out Punk. 
No, I, I think you're talking about – we're talking about Mox. We're talking about Punk. I think they're on a different level than Barrett right now. I, I don't think he's going to bring you any of the notoriety, any of the attention outside of this core base you already have. But do you, want, other do names- you want two guys that are going to have that WWE affiliation? And I guess I'm forecasting here. I think Jericho absolutely beats Omega. And I actually, I'm, I'm with you. I think actually, you know, the, the right choice here is Jericho. You know, he's someone who has put himself in that top echelon of all time greats. He goes where he wants. He does what he wants. He's defining an era, and he's represented so many others. You know, to me, he's your obvious choice that begins your lineage. The trick is, as we're presenting here, the question is, you know, who is that right challenger? I would think it would be fine going with punk it would be fine going with Mox because they are especially in the case of punk he's ascended above that wwe status moxley you know dean ambrose is wwe but there's so many people right now that are just waiting because it's so fresh for that breakout they want him back they want the real lunatic fringe back the guy that grew up on the same street side didn't since that they want him back those are okay Barrett's been so out of the game for so long and in reality did very little within that structure of WWE. He's not going to be rememberable for this thing. That turns into just a, all right, that turns into something that we would sit here and kind of bash impact wrestling for. Of all the options, I really like Joey Janela versus Chris Jericho. Give me a guy who's basically a baby face. I consider Joey Janela a baby face anyway at this point in his career. Um, give, give me a, a baby face who's actually crazier than Jericho. I think that could be a very interesting dynamic for that. You get into title. A, you get into a dynamic, though. If it is Kenny, you have to be a little more selective with the opponent. If it's Agreed. Jericho, yes, I want Joey. I could see Joey there because then, you know, on that flip, Jericho is going to elevate him. You have He kind of reminds you of, you know, he is the new Ayatollah of rock and roll. Yeah. He, he is what Jericho was. Now Jericho's evolved into this. I'm a legend. You know, I'm the Goldbergs, you know, the people that are coming back for these huge paydays, if you will. And then you, and it doesn't hurt to strap right on the side. You get the beautiful, the beautiful Miss Ford. So you're making two stars there. And if you're going to build it properly, you're going to get people's attention. Yes. You're going to make a star in that build. Uh, Kip Sabian is going to take on Sammy Guarva. Um, and I thought this was an interesting pick for the pre-show because immediately when I saw this match announced, um, I expect Sammy Guarva is going to get the win. Uh, nothing against Kip Sabian, but I think they, they really want to establish Sammy Guarva. But this immediately reminded me of Eric Bischoff and the plan for Nitro. Give me two athletic cruiserweights and let them go out there and pull off a bunch of holy shit. Did you just see that? I have to see this show. Well, it fits into your whole dynamic of who you're selling to. Yeah, agreed. You're gonna you're gonna bring people in. Wow, they're they're doing these all these of that moves, and you're giving them you're giving them a traditional battle royal, you know, with a different twist here. That's gonna be intriguing. You're gonna get all these talents introduced in that first match. You're gonna introduce so many talents, and then you're gonna come out and wow people. You're gonna get them just a little like you know a little perked up, it's like getting that first sip of coffee in the morning. That's what this match is intended to do before you settle into the main show. 
Yeah, I'm going with Sammy Guarva over Strong on that one. Uh, let's go to the main card. Uh, the match I'm going with for my curtain jerker features a friend of PJ Black's inside of the worldwide underground, Mr. Jack Evans, as PJ said, his, uh, his personal favorite professional wrestler, as well as in Helico, who is absolutely freaking insane. Great to see those two guys teaming up again. It's been a while and they're going to be taking on the best friends, Chucky T and Trent Beretta. I'm going with this for the curtain jerker, man. I think this thing is going to be a whole lot of fun and people are just overlooking it on this card well you've been saying for weeks here this is your pick to kind of be that match not necessarily steal the show but people are going to be like that wow like man that's the one you got to go back and watch these guys really solidified themselves and we keep talking about this this is this show i mean we've got the marquees but it's about making stars standing out absolutely here jargo this match is going to be one that keep your eye out for I'm not even sure necessarily which way I lean as far as a winner. Uh, the way that this thing has kind of been built is uh, both Trent and Chucky were originally going to be in the Battle Royal, and they said, we don't want to be in the Battle Royal. We want to have a match. And about that time, they happened to sign both Angelico and Jack Evans. So they were like, okay, you guys can have a regular match, and this is who you're going to be taking on. So not necessarily any heat, but this is two teams that are looking to establish themselves inside of AEW as legitimate contenders to whoever comes out of the Young Bucks and Lucha Bros match. I really think it speaks volumes that individuals individuals will say, we're going to skip out on a battle royal where we can potentially be the single heavyweight champion of the world because we know how important tag team wrestling is here. That it's going to have its spot. You know, we want to make sure, hey, sure, you know, you got Lucha Bros and the Bucks over, you know, the AAA Tag Team Championship. They, they, they're in that spot right now. But we want to let everyone else know that we're knocking on the door. Those are those little subtle things that we always talk about that stand out. This represents how important tag team wrestling is at AEW. We have two big women's matches on this show. We're going to establish basically the entire division on one show. First is a six women tag match that features Aja Kong, Yuki Sakazaka, and Emi Sakura taking on Harayu Shida, Ryo Abe, and Ryu Mizunami. Uh, Rick, really the only name here that anybody is going to know off the bat is Aja Kong. I absolutely expect that she will actually pick up the victory in this match. This is going to be built around look at all these Joshi performers and bringing a bit of that stardom Tokyo Joshi flavor to the United States. And I'm fascinated to see how it translates. Well, you know, as we run down this card, this is one of two that really stand out to me to see how this Western audience, see how this AEW or even who they're reaching towards, how they're going to perceive this match, how they're going to, you know, just as a consumer, is this going to be your flavor? This is going to be one of the standout, you know, judging moments for AEW going forward, what's going to work, what's not going to work. Yep, and the other matchup is the next match I have on the card, SCU taking on the Stronghearts, the team of Seema, T-Hawk, and L. Lindemann from OWE, and them bringing their flavor of professional wrestling to the United States really for the first time. I've seen some of the TV shows, but this is going to be the first live experience, and I'm fascinated to see how they work with SCU and how it's going to translate to an American audience. 
Well, they've made the investment. SEU's been over there for how long working with these individuals, Weeks. correct? Yeah, trying to figure out how these how these things are going to mesh together. This is this is the number one. This is the number one example of you want an alternative. You want something different than you're used to. You like dot dot dive, but you want theatrics all in this. This is going to come together. Personally, I'm wondering what my take is going to be as we talk Monday in the locker room on this thing. How is this going to gel? People like me, you know, that are the old school, you're going to be a little more receptive to it. I'm sure, Jargo. I, I went and checked it out. What I've seen, I've, I've tried to be open-minded about it. Not really my flavor, but how is it going to gel when you put them in there with SCU? I, that's what intrigues me because I, I know what the flavor is for OWE at this point. But everybody kind of does the same thing inside of OWE. Like, I would be way more frightened if they were taking on a team of, like, Angelico, Jack Evans, and Ray Phoenix, and they were going out and just doing what it is they do. But with SCU, Christopher Daniels, Frankie Kazarian, Scorpio Sky, they don't necessarily work that style. Yeah, they, there's a little bit of high flying in what they do. But at this point in their careers, especially with the exception of Scorpio, they're not out there doing all these crazy flips and stuff. That's why I'm so intrigued to see how this is going to work. Well, I think the biggest thing everyone's looking at, you know, how they're going to bring it over that Oriental style. You know, how is that? Everyone's focusing on that. SCU is just not over there learning their style. They're trying to implement the Western style, how it's just going to gel together. I think that might be the most impressive thing is to see how those guys, you know, Kaz, Sky, and Daniels went over there and said, okay, guys, you've got something amazing, but we have to adapt this to our to our marketplace. Yep. Really looking forward to that matchup. Uh, women's triple threat. This is going to kind of establish the hierarchy inside of the women's singles division. Britt Baker takes on Nyla Rose and Kylie Ray. I'm a little bit torn on this one, Rick, because the way that this thing has been built is more so around Nyla Rose and Kylie Ray. And somehow Britt Baker kind of got thrown into this thing. It seems like the real heat inside of AEW right now is between Brandy Rhodes and Britt Baker. And we're setting up for that match at Fight of the Fallen. Uh, so it, it kind of feels like Brandy just threw Britt into this match. I feel like Britt Baker should win this match. But it wouldn't surprise me at all to see Nyla Rose just knock the ever-loving piss out of Kylie Ray and steal a win here. I, I still think they're going with the bigger picture. I was going to say because the interesting dynamic here is Britt Baker and what's going on uh, with Miss Rhodes there. I, I'm actually expecting that Rhodes is going to give the assist for the win to Baker. Interesting. Almost where you know what you need me. You're here because of me. I don't care about your doctor and all that. Remember, I'm the queen bee. Yeah, it's like they're really setting up two programs with this one match because we're really and, building and, Brandy and even and Britt. In that, well, even in that, you get the Brandy and Britt. In, in that, you can still spin off with the other two in their program as well. So you're setting up two different women's feuds here. And, and let's not be so naive to, to think that we're not going to see Brandy get involved here. And Nyla Rose versus Kaylee or Kylie Ray going forward, I think is a really, really fun program. Nyla Rose, obviously the biggest, baddest bitch in all of AEW. Well, maybe with the exception of Aja Kong. Um, and 
Kylie Ray is basically Bailey. Like that that that's very much her character. She's the fun loving, you know, cute girl. And the biggest, baddest bitch inside the company is going to start picking on her on day one. I, I feel like this is a great story to tell, but I, I think this is really going to be the Bailey story for Kylie Ray. I think bell to bell, obviously, you know, we're talking about storylines and all this bell to bell, though. I think these ladies are they're going to be one of those one of those matches that we're talking about. You know, Monday we hit down when we sit down in the locker room. It's just going to absolutely blow people away. I think this is going to top what we saw it all in. And I, I'm hoping more now that we get more dramatics afterwards instead of this cheesy evolution type stuff where it's a big hug out. I want stories coming out of this. That's what I'm expecting. Brandy gets, you know, gives the assist to Brit. We have that story running out, and the other two have just just bubble up their conflict with one another. Now, all these matches, the ones that we just talked about, those are all the undercard matches. All that's left are the big three. But Rick, is this enough? For the undercard, is this enough? Because I keep hearing this narrative that, oh, yeah, you know, there's a story for Cody versus Dustin. And, yeah, there's a story for the Bucks versus the Lucha Bros. And, yeah, there's enough for Alpha versus Omega. But there's nothing else on this card that I care about. I, I feel like there's stories for all of these matches. You know, hold on. You know, even even at its very basic Going back and looking at this thing, the way we have laid this out, you have to pay attention. You don't need every major build. Let's go back to what pro wrestling it's about. It's about marquee matches. And then your undercard is to highlight highlight talent and show people that are coming up. The way we've just laid these out here, you know, and talking about them out loud, I don't I don't understand how you're not excited about this undercard. There's so much potential going forward. You're going to have exciting action. No matter what your flavor is, there's something here for you. You know, just even in the styles. Yeah, I'm not a fan of everyone, but there's something great even for me. And I can find things to enjoy in every other match. So anyone is going to tell me, oh, it's only a couple of matches built up. Yeah, that's what an event's about. You have marquees for a reason and you build people up. So get the fuck out of here with that. I feel like we have to retrain the pro wrestling audience. Because really, since 2001, when WCW went under and WWE took over as basically the the big monopoly inside of the mainstream wrestling business, we have talked a lot about WWE insulting your intelligence as a fan. And I feel like these same people that are complaining about Double or Nothing and there not being any stories going into this. You're the people that are enjoying WWE TV that just they just spoon feed this shit to you where you don't even have to think about it. It's just segment after segment. So this one sets up this match and this one sets up this match. And it's so formulaic like what AEW has laid out here on basically a YouTube television show. I feel like there's story for all of these matches and especially going forward out of all these matches. This is the starting point. One of the big things we've always heard here with AEW is give us our wrestling back, and they're absolutely presenting it in that style. You're gonna have a, you're gonna have an undercard that's gonna entertain you. You're gonna have little different flavors for everyone. It's like a sampler platter. It, give us our wrestling back, and they're gonna build you up to those main events. It's not about giving away everything with false finish. And I'm sure we're gonna get all those because that's just wrestling today. But they're not gonna give it all away. You know, one through five. You got to wait through six through eight till your big bang. Yep. So let's talk about the big three. And I feel like these matches really could go off in any order. Um, 
I, I'm going to start with Nightmare. Well, we, we know the main event. Well, we do, but we don't because all of a sudden there's been a little bit of a change inside of that language. Oh, okay. Uh, let, let's start with Nightmare versus Natural. And I think this is absolutely going to be third from the top. Number one, because of the style of match that it's going to be in comparison to the other two matches. And number two, because Cody doesn't want the visual of headlining the first AEW show, which I think is actually really, really smart. Now, well, I, I think you know, it goes back to, you know, when him and Aldis did it all in. It was right in the middle of the show. Because they were going to a more traditional thing. It's built around story. They're gonna they're gonna be able to do a slow pace, and there's no way in hell you're gonna go out there after what you know the other two matches. So nightmare versus natural. I know I'm hashtag team Cody Huckleberry. I know you're hashtag team Dustin. Cody is coming to kill the Attitude Era. He says that this is not a matchup that is being built around brother versus brother. This is a matchup that is being built around generation versus generation. It's new school versus the Attitude Era. Cody says he's coming to kill the Attitude Era because you know what? It just wasn't that good. The Attitude Era was not that good. If you go back and you watch Stone Cold Steve Austin versus The Rock and you put that against Kenny Omega versus Kazuchika Okada, Kazuchika Okada versus Kenny Omega is clearly the better match by every standard that you can possibly think of except for maybe box office. And Cody is tired of the Attitude Era stars like, I don't know, The Undertaker and Goldberg headlining a show in Saudi Arabia that might be bigger than WrestleMania. And he's tired of the Attitude Era holding down the new generation. Dustin represents everything that was the Attitude Era. And Cody is finally going to put it out of its goddamn misery. Let's get down to this. You know what? A five-star technical match hasn't sold shit in this business ever. It is about persona. It is about investing. It is about caring. It is about the people. It is about the storytelling. That's what the Attitude Era represented. It is about buying in heart and soul what made you love, what made you believe. They can say, you know, you can sprinkle your stars wherever. And Mr. New Japan over here, Jargo, you can tell me how great everything is. Best of Super Juniors, Okada and all this. Bullshit with that. Throw that Medusa in. Right in the fucking trash, because that's where it belongs. What sells is the people, and what sells was the Attitude Era, and what sold was Dustin giving his entire heart and soul to a fucking business that his brother does not respect as a piggybacking off of right now. So those are the two arguments. Hashtag Team Cody. Hashtag Team Dustin. Let us know where you stand at HTMPWPod. Rick, now. Now, on this, though, the way you're laying this thing out, you know, it, and I was in agreement there until you started laying that out. I could see Jericho and Kenny going before this, maybe even have a buffer match in between because the the role that Jericho is on right now, you know, he is he, he gaps all these generations. He is above that. I could see him losing to Kenny and it coming out here and giving Cody or giving Dustin the assist. And promising that individuals like them will never die. Ever. Ever die. It's interesting. Because they represent that. that. It's interesting you say that because I could absolutely see that. 
But I think that also plays into my theory that Jericho is going to take out Kenny Omega. Um, but the real question is, see, because now if Jericho beats Omega, Jericho is chasing the title. That keeps Jericho occupied. And you can still do the Jericho versus the office story and keep building to Jericho versus Cody. I guess my question is, what does Cody do in the meantime? Which begs the question, okay, this matchup is generation versus generation. Is the next matchup going to be brother versus brother? Is this really going to be a one-off or is this just the beginning of something bigger until we get to Jericho versus Cody? You know, going forward on that, because, you know, we've got a couple shows. We've got the Jacksonville show, right? Now, I could see Jericho Cody headlining Chicago too, all into yeah. I, I, I would love to get to that point. Uh, even between there, you know, throwing all these different twists. If we're sitting at this creative table, we're laying all this out right now. You know, one of the things I'm pitching is almost a, a code of honor at the end of the match between the brothers, and they line up, and maybe at Jacksonville, it's them versus the Bucks. Ooh, that would be interesting as well. <laughs> you know, where it's it's almost you turn into almost like a Sandman and Dreamer situation. Yeah, we just went to war, but we know we're brothers and we're better together. So at the end of it, whoever loses, whoever wins, you know, you pick up the other one. You have that moment there where, you know what? Why are we fighting? We are stronger together. We're we're united. And kind of that Jacksonville kind of is around, built around that unite. You know, they're there for the fallen people that, you know, the brothers, the first responders, you know, our law enforcement, all those that have stand together. It's interesting that you say that, because one of the things that I've also been thinking about is how do we break up the elite? Because right now, I mean, with the elite as the faction that they are, eventually what is going to have to happen, we saw it when Cody was in Ring of Honor and Kenny was in New Japan, the Bucks kind of went whichever company that they were with, and when it finally came down to Cody versus Kenny, the Bucks were kind of stuck in the middle. Well, now we're seeing, like, for Fight of the Fallen, originally it was supposed to be the Lucha Bros and Pac taking on the elite, the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega. They, they are clearly, once again, a unit. Eventually, this is going to lead to Kenny versus Cody again because the Young Bucks are going to choose Kenny this time. Is that partially as a result of Cody rejoining with his brother at the end of this matchup? Well, you, you know, as, as we're actually, we're, we're spitballing these things right now. Uh, my marketing mind is... Uh, it's it's buzzing. You talk about everything going around. Who's going to align with each other? You know, when does business really settle in? You know, when does this, we're not on a dream, the journey, you know, this fantasy journey is a reality now. So we've had all in, right? We've had double or nothing. So what about Chicago next time around? you got brothers versus brothers. Somehow Kenny's thrown in the middle. Maybe he's the, the referee. And it's all or nothing. Mm, that could be intriguing. Man, I wish Chicago was going to be after the TV started rather than trying to build all this just strictly through YouTube. Once, I mean, hey, hey we, we might, me and you might be in a fist fight out there at all or nothing. Hey, you never, you never can always sometimes tell. A wise man once told me that. Well, just, hey, I, I, I'm not going to list the help of him, but I will be looking over, and you should probably too, because we don't know what the sinister one might be doing. He might stay at both of us. 
It's true. It's true. <laughs> Let's talk about the AAA Tag Team Championships. That's right. I'm moving this down second from the top. It's going to be the Young Bucks versus the Lucha Bros. Pentagon and uh, Ray Phoenix. Uh, the Young Bucks took the AAA Tag Team Championships while down in Mexico and seemingly aligning themselves with Conan, of all people. And now we have this feud between the Bucks and the Lucha Bros. Rick, I, I feel like this one's pretty cut and dry. I feel like the Lucha Bros are absolutely taking these titles back. I don't think that the Young Bucks want to be going to Mexico and working AAA shows defending these titles, at least not on any kind of a regular basis. I could see them going down there and challenging for the titles and coming up short, but I don't see them spending a whole lot of time down in AAA. I feel like this one's pretty clear that the Lucha Bros take these titles. Well, you know, to throw a little twist into that, though, is you're talking about maybe the twist is that they retain here, but then they go do a one-off where they lose the belts back in Mexico. Yeah, and, and one thing that, that kind of throws a kink in my theory is this is only the second time that these two teams have faced off. If you can believe that, as overexposed as the Young Bucks have been, as overexposed as Penta and Phoenix have been, this will only be the second time these two teams have faced off two-on-two. The first time, 2017, PWG had like a coal. God rest Adam Cole's soul before the Young Bucks and Kenny and... Adam Cole. God, it was such a sad story. Poor Britt Baker. Any any chance in like in a in a weird twist to really pop that audience that instead of just the triple A titles here that they unveil some AEW tag championships? I have thought about that as well. I have thought about that. But then you know, it's like, do you really want Penta and Phoenix as the first champs there? Because and I Obviously, I've referred to it enough. I think Jericho's beaten Kenny. Are any of the elite going to win a match here? Or, or or are we making a statement straight out of the gate? No, we're not just pushing ourselves. And the Bucks lose, and Cody loses, and Kenny loses. And this is a really, really I, bad I, well, night for I, the elite. I, I, think, I think you get to a point. Or maybe you tell that story like they all lost their matches and it's because they're so focused on this company. Exactly. And it, it, maybe that's a story they have to realize. Are we entering competitors or now we management? And, and whoever wins anyway, you know, you're always going to get that naysayer like, oh, they just put themselves over. Right. Right. But I think that is a good, fun story to tell. I mean, they've made such a big deal out of being the executive vice presidents. Maybe they all go out here and they just lose. Well, I think that's a fair enough story. Like we've been so consumed by what it takes to win this thing. We just lost focus in the ring. I think that's a good story to tell. So I'm leaning towards Alpha versus Omega 2 being your main event. Jericho has now been referring to this matchup as the main event. I've heard it referred to as the main event on Road to Double or Nothing a couple of times. And now I feel that since we have put this stipulation on this match, that the winner of this matchup will face off with the winner of the Casino Battle Royale to crown the first AEW champion, I feel like that elevates this match above the tag team match. 
I've kind of seen this where they're they're naming, you know, we got three main events. I think it's almost like a jab at WWE. Where, <laughs> where you go to possible. WrestleMania, you go to WrestleMania, and out of the sixteen matches, seven of them are billed as main event matches. That's very possible. It, 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 these guys are so great at that. You know, even Jericho going the other day talking about uh, Goldberg or you know Brock Lesnar winning the Money in the Bank. It just he that really little is subtle the future jab of this business that, that he took at it. it. I thought it was so brilliant. I think they're doing that. I think when you close the show, and it all it, it really comes down to who is going to be that other competitor to determine that championship. You were talking about you know if it's uh, Janelle and all that. I don't think that that's going to put that over as your main event. You still want to have some titles on the line. That's why the tag team match is still there. Now, if you're going to bring in someone like a CM Punk that we know is going to be that challenger and you've got Jericho or, you know, an absolute dream, Kenny Omega versus CM Punk and Kenny sitting there after getting that, that huge victory, tears in his eye, he's giving you the good night and you hit CM Punk's music one more time. That leaves your lasting impression. Shit, dude, we got to stay tuned. We got to make sure we're on YouTube. We're watching the road to the fight of the fall where we're doing anything that they're putting out. We need to follow. It's all about who's going to be in that match. I think absolutely you go off the air with someone holding up the newly minted AEW World Heavyweight Championship with the winner of Alpha versus Omega on one side and a stare down with the winner of the Casino Battle Royale and the championship in between. Like, that has to be the closing image I know, of this I, yeah, first I, show. No, I, think, I, I don't think it, it, it's about who is it. Because if it's an unknown, you're going you're gonna to have Jericho make somebody like we're talking about with the Joey there. You don't close with that. You close with we're talking about that tag or you, you know, that becomes your you introduce the AEW tag team championships. You need a moment. We're both in agreement on this. You need a moment, even going back to Lex Luger walking out that you'll forever remember. I'll throw another Lex out there on a Nitro where he put up Hogan in that rack. You know, you need one of those great moments like that that's gonna make you okay, I need to figure out what's going on here. Not even so much there. You need a moment that individuals like I, like us are going to be talking about on the phone, on the on the Twitter, on Facebook, everything, spreading the word to other people. You guys got to get locked in right now to what is happening here. Wrestling is back. I'm also I'm not a big belt mark. I, I, I don't necessarily nerd out over championship belts. And I know you're not necessarily a big belt mark either. But I am dying to see this title. Um, and, and the reason I'm dying to see this title is because, number one, I know it's being created by Mr. Dave Milliken. And Milliken belts are always the most beautiful championships that you're going to see. Number two, the report is that what they kind of used for the design of this championship is the Mid-South North American title which is widely revered as the largest championship of all time. Like sheer size of this freaking belt 
was huge. I'm actually looking right now at a picture of Magnum TA with this belt over his shoulder, and you cannot see his chest. That's how big this freaking belt is. We, we, we saw on when they announced that the winner of Alpha versus Omega was going to face the winner of the Casino Battle Royale. They tried to show us the title, and the guy that was doing the talking couldn't get it out of the bag. It was stuck because it, the belt was just too damn big. Rick, are you excited to see this title? You know, I really hadn't thought about it until you just said this. As you said, I'm not a big you know, belt mark. Uh, I just hope it's uh, 10.1 pounds. <laughs> and, and i hope on the front on the front of it it says a e with a fucking division sign w under it so that's going to wrap things up for this week's show thanks for listening and if you haven't yet please hit that subscribe button then be sure that you visit our friends over at thegorillaposition.com as well as lastwordonprowrestling.com. Get all of your daily updates from the world of professional wrestling. Make sure that you find Huckleberry and I this Monday, hackerhameen.podbean.com. Inside the locker room, we'll be talking a whole lot of AEW as well as maybe, maybe your Raw and SmackDown previews. Until then, you can find the entire HTM Podcast Network online, hittingthemarks.com. Find the show on Twitter at HTMPWPod. Get at me at NotJargo, RBV. How do the people find you? Well, as always, you can keep up with me across all social media at the real RBV. And, uh, once again, I want to encourage people to head on over to Facebook. The Hobby Media Discussion Group, there is a sweet photo uh, circulating over there. I'm taking it of Charlotte in an awesome red jumper. And I swear to God, if that's a dick, slap me in the face with it. Oh, my God. You people, I swear. Enjoy Double or Nothing, ladies and gentlemen. We'll talk to you Monday. For now, we're off like a prom dress. Not Charlotte's prom dress. Nobody needs to see that. See ya! me I don't give up your bad guy
your bitch and I lied. She was at home with me last night. I'll be your bad guy. Why 